Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am Matt Bennett. I am back here with Dave and Ina to talk about the uh, Chapter 7 of our book, Heartbeat of Business. Um, If you're new to the podcast, I highly encourage you to go back to Episode 1 of this uh, journey we've been taking around the book. Uh, Should be a a few weeks back in your post. Uh, You can get a free copy of the Heartbeat of Business at OptimalHRV.com. Uh, so I've been excited. This has been such a fun series. We've got a lot of great feedback on it with my co-authors, Ina and Dave. So chapter seven, um, I'm really excited to talk about this chapter because um, it's got one of my favorite things that uh, Ina's work actually introduced me to. Um, oh God, I won't mispronounce it again. Your keys, Dotson, your keys. Yeah. You got it. York is Dotson. You got it. So like, I don't know, like why my tongue can't dance, but it definitely cannot dance. So I, I you know, I, I found this really interesting um, because it gives us a way to talk about the nervous system uh, for optimal performance. Because I, I think so many times we think about the parasympathetic, ventral vagal, uh, you know, in a time of high stress, everything's about calm, Right. How do you calm down the sympathetic? How do you how do you calm down or regulate the amygdala? Um, and I think obviously that's key to to what we're going to talk about today. Yet we we need a little bit of something something if we're going to perform at our best. So so one of the things I love about the graphic in, in the book is moderate activation produces optimal performance. So. I would love, because I know you and Dave as well, work with high performers too, elite athletes, special forces, all those fun folks. And I wonder when you you think about this and that optimal performance, talk to me about how you use uh, this law to help people. Again, we don't, I believe we don't want them too low, too relaxed that they're asleep, but we also don't want them in fight or flight response most of the time either. So uh, you know, I would just love to hear you uh, talk about this and how it informs your work. Yeah. Um, so interestingly that, uh, as you said, most of the time uh, when people think about a challenge, um, they think that they need to be relaxed. Yeah. Right. Uh, or at the very least calm uh, in order to in order to do their best. Right. But if you think about, um, you know, let's say you're about to run a 400 meter dash. Yeah. Right. Should you be relaxed? Right. Uh, you, you know, that one seems a little bit more intuitive. Like, no, probably not. Right. You know, you really need to be kind of pumped and, you know, ready to go. Right. Um, and yet, uh, when we're talking about less physical challenges, um, including um, athletic, but perhaps a little bit less intense uh, challenges, like, you know, maybe a championship game or something like this, right? People still, and about, you know, presentations and interviews and, you know, Singing at Carnegie Hall, I don't know all, all those kinds. Recording of Recording a podcast, awesome things. Recording a podcast. There you go. Um, 
people still think that um, they need to be relaxed. It's, it's it, our language uh, is just so infused with the, with this kind of semantics, and it's uh, um, it's just kind of underlies um, our approach uh, to challenges um, and creates a problem, right? Because when we are about to face a challenge, the body starts preparing for it. Yeah. That's normal. That's natural. That's how it should be. Uh, the body is going to um, increase its activation. Your heart rate is going to go up and your breathing is going to change. And, you know, your gastrointestinal system is going to do something, right? And your muscles are going to get a little more tense, right? And you know, so is your brain, right? You're going to feel a bit more alert and perhaps a little bit more narrowly focused on the task at hand, et cetera. Uh, all of these are not only normal, but they're helpful. That's that is what you need in order to be at your best, right? So your body starts doing that. And then there is a part of your mind that's used to thinking you need to be relaxed, notices that activation and goes, oh, no, 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 no. This is stress. This is bad, right? We're so conditioned to think of stress as bad that we need to de-stress. We need to get rid of our stress. We need to, um, you know, be serene. Um, so the, the mind comes on and goes, let's get rid of this. Uh, so now your mind and your body are, you know, butting their proverbial heads. Um, and that's, end up in the fight or flight because you are trying to achieve the impossible um and that is a sure sign of danger right you know you are engaging in something that's simply uh simply not possible so that's how people end up in that you know the downward uh, side of that inverted uh u-curve over there of the york is that's in law that's how people end up overactivated. uh no matter what the challenge is there is an optimal level of activation uh and it's in the middle you know that you know at the inverted U, it's some sort of moderate level of activation. The amplitude of the activation is, of course, going to vary. You know, yeah. 400 meter dash requires way more activation than recording a podcast. Uh, and yet, both of these activities do have an optimal sweet spot of activation that's required. And we want the body to be able to get there. And we want the mind to allow the body to then stay there. Right? You know, it's, it, we, we bought both sides of this. Right. Uh, so, yeah. There you go. So I, I'll throw this out to either of you because I, I, I'm assuming it'll be a tough question. So I'll throw that warning out right away. So a lot of what we talk about with heart rate variability is the ventral vagal nerve and the ventral vagal break uh, dancing with the sympathetic system. I, I still like... You know, I know it puts a, a break and lowers the heart rate to give us the variation. So I wonder, and maybe I'm just in the wrong science maybe here. Uh, maybe we're talking about brain versus autonomic. But but it, one of the things that I, I think about is it seems like always a better ventral vagal activation, a better parasympathetic response, a better heart rate variability is good no matter what though and this is where i i think there's a little bit of a challenge because i could see myself like as an athlete i thought i wanted some sympathetic as well mixed in there so i how do i look at this because i would assume if i'm more eventually vaguely active i'd be more aware on the court so so help help this confused man help me help me understand Please take I, this, Ina, because you, know, <laughs> you, you have taught me everything I know about this. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab. I've been thinking about this, Ina, you know, because Matt, you've been asking this question. Yes. Um. So I appreciate the the a bit of uh, opportunity to prep. 
Um, so we want a strong vagal break. We want a strong parasympathetic nervous system. Um, and part of its strength, uh, and I think this is the, the part that's maybe a little bit counterintuitive, um, part of its strength is, is knowing when to let go. Okay. Uh, so when you're running that 400 meter dash, you're going to be dominant, dominantly in sympathetic state as you should be, right? Yeah. Uh, because, uh, yeah. you know, you, you don't, yeah. e exactly. You don't want your, uh, vagal, uh, break, you know, getting, getting in the way there. You, you want, um, the sympathetic activation to be well at its optimal level, right? Yeah. Which in that situation is going to be fairly high. Um, you know, sympathetic activation it sometimes gets a, a little bit of a bad rap, just like stress, right? You know, we don't want it. Of course we do. It's just right. when and how and how much. Um, and because the sympathetic nervous system doesn't have a built-in shutoff mechanism, yeah. uh, it, it just it just goes up, right? You know, as you are um, about to run, um, it, the sympathetic activation is going to go up. But what is it going to, what is it, uh, what is going to let it go up? That's the strong vagal nerve. Yes, yes. Um, we think of it as the brake that puts on, you know, that puts on the brakes of sympathetic activation. But it's also the same uh, mechanism that takes the brake off and allows the activation to go up. And it's going to go, let it go up pretty high. We'll still at some point cap it, right? Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, that cap is going to be quite high if you're talking about running. Um, so you don't want to be in a uh, vagal state when you're running your 400 meter dash. Uh, but you want to be able to return to it pretty quick, um, you know, once you're done. And if you're talking about being on a tennis court, um, you want to be able to switch uh, between uh, being more dominantly, you know, in sympathetic state uh, and then uh, having your activation decrease a bit, right? Never, you're never going to want to be relaxed on a tennis court, right? Yeah. No, you're, you're not going to be able to move fast enough when the ball comes, you know, on the opposite end of the court at you. Um, but, you know, there has to be a, um, this sort of the, the, that dance of uh, higher activation, lower, higher, lower. So it's constantly adjusting itself. Um, you know, again, when you're running the 400 meter dash, the activation is going to be pretty steady for, for, right. you know, for the time right. you're running, right? It's that's kind of more self-explanatory. Um, on a tennis court, uh, if you are a, a soccer goalie, right? Uh, you know, you're going to uh, want to shift from being able to activate very quickly uh, to being able to be less activated physically perhaps you know a little more activated mentally so you can watch where that ball is coming and so that you can react very very quickly right. um, and a strong parasympathetic nervous system allows you to do just that um, it allows you to switch from more highly activated state to less uh, you know less intensity and activation then very quickly uh, jump right back in Awesome. I'm gonna give you a helps. chance. I'm gonna give you a chance to breathe because I, I got some follow-up. <laughs> but I, I've got to bring Dave in here because Dave please, at one point please. in his life decided to get in a cage with a man that had all the tools to probably kill him. And he chose to do that. And uh Dave, so I want to bring your professional uh, because you've been in a position that I've never been in in my life. Locked in a cage with a dude that could seriously do you harm. Um, it might be telling you how much he's going to do you harm. I just watch the weigh-ins of these events. I don't watch the events. So it seems like they don't like each other. So you shut yourself in this cage where you can't flee. You got to fight. But 
at least what my my little understanding of martial arts is also a highly strategic uh piece you want you know i think a lot of it's reactive so as we talk about this i would love to get your experience um in mixed martial arts and how this kind of resonates with you this uh parasympathetic sympathetic dance well yeah as you know was talking about it that's a uh, you know um uh she's talking about tennis and I, and I, my my mind goes to what about boxing what about yeah. you know well, i want to talk about the quarterback that too and, uh, i think the quarterback gives and, uh, us a great example well, yeah well where we're like looking at an extreme uh you know end of end yeah. of it. but uh but that's where you know like um like uh with that mat um i always uh, i always think about that as it's not a real fight uh, so if anybody asks me if I, I've never actually been in a real fight, um, you know, I, by no means is it uh, is it acting or anything of, of that nature. The uh, some of that stuff that you see on TV, you know, how much they hate each other, this and that. I think they're you know, they might be playing that up a little bit. Um, but but, but I, I've seen what they look like after the fights, too. Dave. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. So, no, no, no. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The punches are the punches in the kids. Are <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but but you know there's that sense of safety um yeah. so i i never fought out of uh out of anger in any way um and in fact that's the worst thing you can do in a fight is to is to you know i we'd say losing our head right uh where you have your game plan and you're going in and you do get hit unexpectedly or something happens that is not what you want and then you start to deviate from your game plan and uh and all Everybody of a sudden has a plan until they get punched in the face <laughs> yes <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden things just compile uh you know com- uh, compounding on and how quickly they are going wrong for you um but in my head it was always just a game uh you know it's no for me i, I grew up playing hockey so it was it wasn't a big transition going to uh going to doing that and um and there's that there's that rules you know we know that no matter how wrong things go this is this is just a game right at, at any point i could tap out and say i'm done at any point i could wave my hands and say i i give up right um so we know that there's that safety net there and i think that there's um i think there's a, a lot of power within that and i know um i know that within the uh, polyvagal theory they talk about you know how sport is so different um than um than an actual fight and that's where you know i don't know how it would be in an actual fight you know i might uh i might be the guy who just totally shuts down and gets my butt kicked uh you know i i totally could be that person um and same with uh same with like arguments i always think that too um i if somebody confronts you right that is so different than um than anything that you would experience sport wise. Uh, and actually I have a question for you about that, Ina, uh, in just, uh, in just a moment. But, um, but with that, um, when we are in that cage, yeah, it is a hundred percent that, that parasympathetic, uh, you know, that, uh, that ventral vagal rather has to be regulating you so well so that you don't lose your head because, because if you don't have that pair that, uh, that ventral vagal power there, then all of a sudden you do slip over that edge and now it's now you're you're the lost person running around making no sense of anything right you're you're swinging punches that don't make any sense you're putting yourself in vulnerable positions um that's where things really start to go wrong uh so 
so without a doubt, uh, you know, that's where, that's where practice, that's where the training, that's where realizing, uh, you know, um, I, I always find it funny. A new guy in a gym is always, um, is always fighting, like, like he's fighting for his life. And then you look at the guys who are experienced and they're just so relaxed going through everything. Cause this is just, there's just another day for them. Right. Um, so, so that's where we build up that stamina. We build up our, um, we build up that ventral vagal power, uh, where we can regulate how scary this is or isn't. Um, but, uh, but you know, with that, uh, I actually wanted to ask you a question about that. Um, so my wife, the other, uh, the other day, um, had a, uh, a situation with an employee and, um, and I was like, how on earth did you not lose your mind? Like how on earth did you not just shout at this person and fire them until you're out of here? And, um, and, and that's, I look at her as like, she must have the best ventral vagal regulation uh one because she's married to me no, <laughs> no but uh wow but, wow uh, yeah right <laughs> but um but because to deal with those types of situations and those are real world situations whereas my fights my confrontations right those are those are not real world that's mm-hmm. that's play that's play world um so it, yeah yeah Matt. <laughs> get punched in the head <laughs> It's it's a game, um, but <laughs> but that's where. How does that differ in, in those situations? Because I can relate so strongly there, but I don't I don't have to do that kind of stuff. Um, how does that differ for us, and how how quickly we activate sympathetically uh, when it is a real fight? When it is that kind of a situation, uh, you know, where where you do have to keep your wits about you because because you are this person's employer <laughs> and you can't punch him in the face. <laughs> well, and how similar the how similar our biological autonomic reaction is to both of those variables. So that that's the I just to throw that in there like we're we're so simple in that way when you talk about the unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this this is where um you know, I'm going to talk a little more about the, you know, the brain uh, input into this. Because right? you know, we, we talk about the autonomic nervous system when it comes to the parasympathetic nervous system, because it is part of the autonomic nervous system. And the vagal nerve, um, you know, is primarily, you know, the autonomic nervous system, because it is, you know, your, para, your vagal nerve, your parasympathetic nervous system are almost the same thing. Uh, but, you know, your vagal nerve has projections uh, into your brain, and it actually has a lot to do with your brain activity, especially um, as we're learning from, you know, uh, recent brain imaging research, like the last, you know, five years has been some really awesome, um, really awesome findings. Um, and I'm also going to bring in a concept, more of a, a mindfulness concept of equanimity mm-hmm. um, that can sometimes be confused with staying relaxed, but it's really not, right? Equanimity means... Um, Staying well-regulated in the face of a challenge. Uh, well-regulated meaning activated as needed, less activated as needed, right? So staying in that optimal zone of activation. Um, and, uh, you know, David, that's exactly, uh, I'm, you know, I'm guessing, the state your wife was in when she was having that uh, challenging conversation with the employee. Uh, you know, she was able uh, to get into the state of equanimity. Um, and what, what I'm guessing was going on in her brain um, was the prefer 
cortex, the thinking part of the brain, was appropriately putting on the brakes to the amygdala activation, right? You know, people um, with uh, higher heart rate variability have a more connected brain, right? So, you know, we know this again from some recent um, brain imaging studies. Um, there, it's it's not just how well is our prefrontal cortex functioning in and of itself. It's how well is it connected with other areas of the brain and how well areas of the brain are um, able to communicate together. And in this case, how well is the uh, prefrontal cortex able to put on the brakes to that uh, amygdala um, activation? So yeah, you know, her heart variability is probably high. Uh, her parasympathetic regulation is probably really good. Um, so her the connectivity between the ventromedial prefrontal cortex and the amygdala uh, and probably the insula, uh, you know, is quite high. So she was able to both uh, re regulate her own activation, take the perspective of the employee and kind of understand where they were coming from. Uh, she was probably, you know, able to feel, you know, anger and whatever else if they were acting out. Uh, but she was also able to understand where they were coming from. That's the, you know, that's the insula, right? So that very nice connectivity uh, in her brain that was uh, uh, that strongly associated with higher parasympathetic strength uh, is what enabled her to do that. Awesome. That is awesome. Uh, yeah. the, the neurology of it is just so cool. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wonder one of the things that that I, I think I'm hearing, and this may this may explain and, and you know I really appreciate that you brought us up into the brain as well because I think sometimes we just like we're either talking about autonomic uh, kind of neck down and forget about the brain or just talk about the brain and forget about uh the heart and our autonomic nervous system neither of which really talks about us as human beings in a holistic way one of the things because because if we bring this back into kind of the business environment and in the chapter we talk a lot about you know, challenging people with you stress, like the good stress, the stress that leads to motivation, the stress that I probably believe if you're in that optimal zone, so to speak, that is a motivator and not a demotivator. Uh, whereas if you get too much of anything, it's going to demotivate and maybe create a crash of sorts. I I think I'm hearing learning is being big in here as well, is you know, if I think about, and I think a quarterback I, I said I was going to bring up, I, I think it's a great example is if you hear like Payne Manning talk about what he's thinking as he watches a football game, it is kind of like rocket science, right? He's so intellectually engaged, and yet he's got a bunch of like 350, 400 pound elite athletes trying to really hurt him in a sportsmanlike way. And so, like, I imagine what Dave did kind of to manage his stress, what I did at the free throw line with the game, you know, hanging in the balance, that there is some learning in that. Where a Navy, uh, Navy SEAL, for example, might in a war zone be able to take a breath and solve a problem or connect with someone in crisis. So I, I where does learning kind of come into this? Um, maybe extending or bringing that optimal level of both a sympathetic energy and parasympathetic uh, executive functioning. So uh, with the, you know, with the fighting, I can definitely say, uh, you know, like uh, 
that uh, like I gave the comparison of the guy the first time versus uh you know the um the more experienced guy and it's it is all uh learned um you know in in that regard just like you at the free 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 throw line um mm-hmm. and uh and the quarterback it's just it the more times you are in a situation the less threatening that situation becomes right um uh you know I, I know we've uh, we've said this on the on the podcast several times but novelty is the most threatening thing to your nervous system and um and if if i got into a cage with somebody and this was the first time somebody had ever thrown a punch at me i would you would have no chance right um you would not be able to regulate yourself properly in that situation right but um but but when you're when you're the quarterback who's been through this same play, this same scenario, hundreds, thousands of times, it's just just another day in the park, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like waking up in the morning. It's just what you do. Um, so, so the threat is gone from that. Uh, there, there is no threat, right? And even uh, even when it does get challenging, it's a challenge. Um, it's it's still not a threat. Right. Um, and granted, they can all take a turn, right? Like you said, uh, like you said, most are trying to take Peyton Manning down in a uh, in a sportsmanlike way. Yeah. Most, right? Uh, we all know, you know, you try to tackle a quarterback a little bit differently. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so so without a doubt, you know, is there some is there some real fear and some real harm possible? Yes, uh, but but when we've been through this a million times, it's just another day in the park. Now for a Navy SEAL, um that's you know again going from that from that sports regulation into what i was talking what i asked you know about right now we're now we're in a real world situation now this is actually life or death um and yeah practice uh practice helps uh without a doubt but uh but you know i'd love to know um what else somebody like a navy seal does to uh to to train and i know that you've uh you you've done work with them um so how else do they help with regulation? Because it's it's beyond just being an athlete. Yes. So I think um, those who make it uh, into the Navy SEALs uh, are, uh, you know, what you know, a colleague of mine, Lee Lagos, called called psycho- sorry, physiologically talented. I was going to use uh, badass, but that's much better. <laughs> badass. <laughs> I think they're kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the given the intensity, let's say, for lack of a better word, um, of uh, you know buds training and you know, entering the entrance to uh, Navy SEALs, um, the folks who make it, you know, have to come with a, a um, built-in ability to regulate uh, better than you know, most of us, I think that, you know, there's, there is a biological, perhaps genetic uh, predisposition. Um, And uh, the repeated exposure, uh, as you said, is uh, absolutely crucial, right? Uh, You know, if you think about, um, you know, the first time you jump out of an airplane, um, right, it's, uh, I imagine, even for a Navy SEAL or a potential Navy SEAL, it's scary they do it right you know they have the ability to face the fear and they can tell the difference between what's actually dangerous um and and what they're able to you know to do um but you know once you have i don't know a few dozen jumps into your belt it probably doesn't phase you anymore right you know, as as, um, as they were saying um 
and their ability to tell the difference uh, between what they're able to engage in safely enough and how to do it is a really big part of it, right? So uh, the prefrontal cortex um, is uh, well able to differentiate, you know, A, what's under my control, so what can I do? You know, they obviously they go into plenty of actually really dangerous situations, um, but the brain is able to assess um, what can I do in this situation to keep myself safe, and they focus on that, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes, uh, uh, the parts that are not under their control overwhelm and, you know, the, the danger becomes, um, uh, uncontrollable, uh, with sad outcomes. Uh, but, uh, in majority uh, of these situations, they're able to keep their eye on what can I control? Um, whereas for most of us, when we are in these threatening situations, the brain goes to what I can't control and attempts to control it, right? So the brain wastes its resources um, in an effort to do something that's not actually possible. And then there is not enough resources left for things that would be possible. Um, and, you know, for folks like the uh, Navy SEALs, they're able to focus on uh, what's controllable and stay with that. Fascinating. I want I want to throw a couple statements out and see uh get your reaction to it. One is like you know when I I think about motivational interviewing. So working with folks, we know motivation gets elicited and we talk about this in the chapter a little bit through cognitive dissonance. In other words, realizing something about your current situation is less than optimal or that your behavior is preventing you maybe from living the life that you want. So you're either kind of hurting yourself or you're missing out on something. And, you know, my work from the mental health perspective, that may be losing your children to social services. That that might be uh, the potential of overdosing from heroin. I mean, there's some real serious things, but it might be, hey, I'd like to fit better into whatever clothing I'm wearing or whatever, too. So it can be big and small things. One of the things that I really look at uh, from from my perspective and HRV has really taught me to really focus on is before we have those stressful events, making sure that I'm in a regulated state. So so I'm, I'm thinking about that optimal curve is maybe if I'm in a spot where, hey, I know I'm going into a really big, I'm doing a keynote speaking in my like current life where I'm, I'm not getting into a cage or in a war zone, like, but I'm giving a big speech. Like I almost want to walk into that maybe more on the highly regulated in on that because I just know the event itself is going to sort of raise me up. And if I'm regulated walking into the stress, it stays you stress. It stays motivating uh, for me and it won't over overwhelm me. The, the other thing I think I'm hearing, and to bring a little bit of uh, terminology, is uh, top-down regulation. I, I think we've get into the spot, too, with that prefrontal cortex, um, where, again, helping learning we're talking about, catching ourselves before we get overwhelmed and our cup overflows, those sort of things. So, you know, I, I think even, you know, as we train with heart rate variability, biofeedback, and mindfulness, what I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, we're building the strength of that prefrontal cortex. We're building its connection with the amygdala, which increases emotional regulation, especially intentional emotional regulation. So like the peak of our inverted curve where we're going to perform in our best probably increases over time and allows us to stay 
more so in our window of tolerance under stress and keep looking at the challenges you stress instead of uh, distress. Uh, and I'll just shut up because that's that's sort of what I'm pulling away from, from this conversation. I want to make sure that I'm right because, of course, this podcast is just all about me. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, love <laughs> it. So I, I want to win again. I, I don't want to repeat what we went through in the chapter because, I, you know, the interesting thing, and I, I want to kind of end on this note, is from a, a manager leadership or organizational perspective, I, I really think this conversation gives us a great way to think about this. One, we want to help people build resiliency over time. So when they hit stress, it becomes more of a motivator than something that uh, throws them into a more sympathetic anxiety or even fight or flight sort of response. So Dave, your wife's example was a beautiful one to, to throw in uh, with that. So we want to do all the, the HRV training, uh, you know, as well as tracking to ensure that our habits are promoting a healthy, resilient nervous system uh, with that. And then apply a manageable but challenging amount of stress. I always always like the idea of thinking about eustress as good stress is uh, too much eustress will turn into distress eventually as well. So we're applying a manageable amount of stress where we're probably checking in with people. We're probably managing that if we're tracking heart rate variability and we're putting a pressure on a team to track hey, are they maintaining good heart rate variability even though they're under more stress throughout this time? And I just, you know, this is where I think heart rate variability gives us such a insight to where they're at in that inverted curve. Are, are, they, are they operating in the optimal level? Because what I see too much with business, we got a big deadline to make, but we're putting so much pressure on that eventually and for too long that that turns into distress and now all of a sudden we're losing creativity, cognitive flexibility, innovation, and we wonder why the project didn't turn out. Okay, so I'm gonna shut up. Just any other insight uh, on this from, from the leadership and management perspective? So uh, so what what you're saying about, you know, peaking and, and everything like that, you know, that's, a, that's exactly what every athlete is going for. Um, that's exactly what, you know, I'm, what, everyone is going for leading up to, you know, like you said, a keynote presentation or anything like that. Uh, we, we just may not know it. Right. But, uh, but intuitively, uh, I think we all kind of have that, we have that gut feeling about, uh, Hey, you know what? I have something big coming up tomorrow. I should make sure that I get a good night's sleep tonight. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and Hey, what do you know? Uh, sleep is, is one of the biggest factors in, uh, you know, in how your HRV is going to be the next day too. Right. Um, so making sure that we peak at that right moment is uh, is is huge, and with the eustress turning into uh, into distress as well, um, I always look at uh, and I apologize to listeners if I've said this on here before, but uh, but I always look at things as being situationally, uh, you know, we have we have all these types of you know stressors in our life, or I like to call them life metrics, right? And uh, and we have things that are always good for you things that are always going to be bad for you. And then things that are situational and, and it is those good stressors, you know, quote unquote, good stressors like exercise, um, you know, that these things might be 
great for you. But when you do them in the wrong way or you do them too much or too often, um, they do become a detrimental thing to you. So uh, so everything is situational. And that's where HRV is just such an amazing tool to use with this. Right. Um, uh, like, you know, with, with uh, we'll, we'll go back to my wife's example. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast and we've been talking about her the whole time. Um, but, uh, but, you know, maybe she was, you know, uh, she was going perfectly exactly how she wanted. Right. And then she had this situation happen. Well, what do you think happened to her? Did that, did that fill her gas tank? Right. Or, or did it, or did it totally drain? And, and that is a big drain and that's an mm. unexpected giant drain. So what do you do from that? Especially right. if you have to go and perform right after that. Right. Now, now you're in this horrible situation where your brain is spinning, your gas tank is totally empty. Well, now you have to go recharge your battery, right? So, um, so what do you do to recharge your battery? And in a situation like that, is going for a run going to help? No, that's going to drain your battery more, right? Uh, maybe going for a walk out in the sunshine, uh, doing some meditation, doing some breathing, uh, that kind of stuff will. Those things are always going to be positive you know, um, battery chargers, right. Uh, you know, or, or we're going to, you know, level out our cup. Right. Uh, so that's, uh, that's how I always like to look at those kinds of things. Um, and I, yeah, and I, I'll just say, I pull out my phone now four breaths per minute because it is the best breathing rate out there as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. And, and I do, I, I do some RF breathing because I, that that's to me, like has been such a key coping skill that like, before training, yeah, people might want to talk to me, but if I get a few minutes to play around with my slides, I've got the pacer right there as as well. So that's been such a huge, uh, quick, like maybe I have two minutes, getting me sort of back at that peak has just been such a useful thing. Ina, I'll give you the last word coming out here with any other thoughts you might have on this great topic. Um, I would just echo what the two of you um, have said, um, that just because something is fun and wonderful and exciting doesn't mean we don't need some downtime uh, right you know we can be engaging in absolutely like you know use stress uh, uh, activities uh you know they can be the best thing ever we can be so excited about it uh but if we don't give ourselves a break we are gonna end up in trouble uh, as well so just to, you know keeping that in mind um that we, all, we always need uh, downtime and our needs for downtime vary and we yeah. need to get to know ourselves and our needs and be able to fill that. Think about recovery as a verb. Uh, what are you going <laughs> exactly. to do, right? To get back up to there because you're like, we can't maintain that level all the time. So like I said, think about, about recovery as an aspect of performance. And the athletes of the world have given us great role models um to to do this about thinking about it. the more you need to be up at that peak that optimal level i i just think recovery becomes more and more i know because of what you all have taught me that recovery becomes such an important aspect of that and i think that's a great way to wrap up this brilliant episode so i want to thank everybody for joining us today uh we'll get uh chapter eight up next week so uh thank you for taking this journey with us again you can get a free copy of the book at optimalhrv.com find a whole bunch of resources show notes and all that fun stuff as well so Ian and dave this has been a great uh pleasure i almost enjoy this as much if not more than writing the book itself so 
I, I love to, to talk about this uh, and uh, process it all with you. So thank you both so much. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thank you.